1: Over to the mailbag, Mister Roberts, and we have a lot of uh, questions here, and 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 we got one here to kick off from Tommy Go- T to Guns Crocs and Glock's. It just kind of wraps up with all we talked about. Is big question is how, just
2: how close is Notre Dame to winning a championship as a program? Tommy, I think they're pretty close, man. But I, I think that for me, it's about the sustainability of winning championships, right? Like Notre Dame stars could all line in 2023, and I I still I do think it's possible. But will you be able to reload like a Georgia can, right? Like Alabama has in the past and be able to consistently be in that conversation year in and year out. That's more what I'm concerned about right this second, right? And that's why we talk about recruiting so much, the acquisition of talent, the development of talent. That's why we talk about that so much. But I think they're pretty close, man. I do. I think that the inconsistencies that they've had in the past that you look at and say that was probably the difference between winning a championship a championship and not winning a championship are being remedied a little bit. Like I feel a lot better about the quarterback position for one, right? Like I feel like they've gotten a lot more athletic on the perimeter, you know, for the team on both sides of the football. So I think they're getting close, man. But for it to be sustainable is my biggest question. Because if Notre Dame wins a championship in 2023, fantastic, man. I will be parting as much as anybody in that situation. But we know – When you're building a program, it's about sustainability, the year-in and year-out consistency. That's more my question mark, but I think 2023 has a chance to be very good, potentially.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
1: I think the other thing that people have to consider about 2023 is Notre Dame could go out and win a championship this year, Ryan, kind of on your point. yep. And and it's still not be that they've completely closed the gap with those teams because I think though this is a unique, it's a lot like 2017 and 2021, where it just was, there weren't a lot of great teams in those years. That 2017 Alabama team was without question, in my opinion, the worst Bama team to win a title. It's a great coaching job. But it just was a down year in college football, in my opinion. You know, Clemson was not very good that year. That was, if you remember, Ryan, that was the year that they had uh, um, Kelly, Kelly. What was Bryant. Kelly Bryant, at quarterback in 2017? Yep. Uh, I don't think they were a great team that year. That Ohio State team, in my opinion, in 2017 wasn't a great team. I mean, that's a team that got blown out at home by Oklahoma. They got blown out on the road by Iowa. That wasn't a great Ohio State team. Barely beat uh you know, barely beat Wisconsin in in the Big 10 title game. That wasn't a great team. Uh, you know, Georgia was a pretty good team that year. And I actually thought Georgia had more talent than Alabama, but Bama just had kind of been there before and they were able to kind of to win that game and you know, that this is the kind of year it is. So you could win a championship and 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 take a bigger step back in year 2 than what other teams would. You know, a lot of guys go pro that wouldn't have gone pro because you peaked a little bit early. And then all of a sudden you're a three loss team next year because you lost too many guys or whatever the case may be. And, and like, like LSU was that way. They just had that one magical year. Now I'm not saying Notre Dame has LSU's roster that 19 season. There were some pretty good teams that they had to beat to get there. My point is LSU wins a title, loses a bunch of dudes and they're just not prepared as a program to sustain it the next season. They, they just, all the stars aligned, as you mentioned. So it's a unique year in my opinion because I don't think Bama is going to be as good as they've been. I don't think George is going to be as good as they've been. I don't think Ohio State is going to be as good as they've been. But they're still going to be really good. It's yeah. just this particular year I think the gap is closed because they're taking a step back at some important positions, but they could easily widen the gap back again in 2024 if Notre Dame doesn't do what they need to do. Does that sure. make, I mean does that make sense like Notre Dame the gap between Notre Dame and those top teams in 2015 was not very wide at all. But in 2016, it was mountainous because yeah. it's the sustainability that you talked about. And, you know, the 2012 team was probably as good as everybody in college football in 2012, except for Alabama. Right. But in 2013, they were mediocre because yeah. they lost a bunch of dudes and the sustainability wasn't there. And, and that's the big question mark. So even if they can compete to win a championship this year, I think they can, if, if certain things go right and they hit catch some breaks, I absolutely think this team is capable of winning a championship. The schedule helps two of your top three opponents are at home yep. and, and, you know, two, two of your top three opponents are, are, are breaking in new quarterbacks, got some new coaches on the schedule. Georgia's going to have a new quarterback. Bama's going to have a new quarterback. Clemson's going to have a new quarterback. Ohio State's going to have a new quarterback. When, when have we ever seen all the big teams need having new quarterbacks?
2: It just doesn't it's happen very often. It's been a while, man. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and so, but but that doesn't mean that they've arrived to, to the sustainability that other teams will have arrived to. Now, could that help them get there? Sure, because they'll be able to recruit a little bit better. But there's still a lot Notre Dame would have to prove, even if they're like let's say they go to the title game and they go toe-to-toe with uh, a Bama and lose. Does that mean that they're now back and they're going to be a playoff team every year? No, it doesn't mean that. No, no, it doesn't. There's still, there's still things that they have to prove that they can,
2: you know, lose some certain guys and keep it rolling.
1: That's going to be the question
2: I, mark. I'm big on the law of averages too, right? The the more consistent you are and a title contender, the more chance you have to win a championship, right? It's like if if Notre Dame's really good in twenty twenty three, but maybe go to a little bit of downslope, you might have a chance to win a, a championship one season, but you don't have it for the for three to four. If you have a right. chance to win it in three to four years, then maybe you win one. You know, like the, I'm really big on the law of averages, and I think that that's the best way to win a championship is to consistently be in that conversation, man. Like you don't want to be in that conversation one year. And then not for two more years, and then back in. And the, the sustainability, I think, is the biggest thing that you talk about in that instance.
1: And, and here's an example of that, Ryan. Let's just say hypothetically that Notre Dame goes out and won the championship this year, just for argument's sake. And and, and I'm not saying I'm predicting that right now. I'm, I'm saying they have a shot. I'm not predicting it. They're doing it with a quarterback that got developed by somebody else. The, can you develop a quarterback questions? Don't get answered if Sam Hartman wins you a title. You're still in the, well, we need to recruit someone who can develop quarterbacks. Cause then if you look at the last three years, two of your three best seasons were with a grad transfer quarterback, that that's not where sustainability comes from. In my opinion, it just, it just isn't. And so he, Georgia's title this past two years were, were won by a guy that transferred in from what, like a Juco basically. Right. But he was a yeah. guy that got developed at Georgia, right. Clemson's tra- championships came from a, a place where they were developed by that program. Bama for the most part has been quarterbacks developed at Alabama, right? You've had the one year wonders LSU with, with Joe Burrow. But when it got back to now you got to win with guys you've developed, they couldn't do that. How did LSU bounce back this year? It went out and got a transfer quarterback. There's still questions about can Notre Dame develop a quarterback and that's the key for Notre Dame to be sustainable is that right there. Can they develop their quarterback room? Yes, Ohio State had a transfer from Georgia. That's fine. But he wasn't really developed at Georgia. He played one year at Georgia. But the rest of their quarterbacks before and after him have all been guys that have been developed at Ohio State. There's a level of, yeah, okay, they have a track record of guys that have, have, you know, their 2014 title team, all guys that they recruited and developed. You know, the the 2000 and uh, this past year, the team that they had this year, recruited and developed. You know, Ohio State had very few transfers. Their transfers were 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 depth fillers. It's the nickel kid from Oklahoma State. They're still Georgia and Ohio State are still programs that understand you were you go to the portal to find to fill holes. You build your team through the high school level. And I think that's why there's more sustainability. So uh, there's still the quarterback question for me, too, as far as the sustainability. But can this particular team, if they get hot, win a championship? Yes, I think they can. Am I predicting yep. it? No, I'm not predicting it, but I think that they can. Um, so that's a, a little bit of a different. Here's a little fun question here
2: from, uh, from T-Guns there, Ryan. t Gun says, do y'all prefer flippy floppies or do you rock out with the Crocs out? I'm much more, I'm not a Croc guy, so my flip-flops by default on that one, Tommy. I mean, I I'll wear flip-flops around the house. I mean,
1: I have a pair of, I think, Adidas ones. I'm not sure. My wife bought them for like me. Like sl- slides or flip Slides, stuff. slides. Yeah. I don't flip-flops are the ones that have like the thing in you through your toe right yeah yeah i don't wear flip-flops i'll do slides uh here here's a weird thing about me that people may not realize so i have my wedding ring right here next to me under my computer i don't wear it because and i don't wear chains i don't wear watches because and i don't wear i can't wear flip-flops because i have this weird thing where i just i don't like things that are uh, like i can like i can feel a ring and it just drives me nuts i don't like watches i can just feel them like i I tried earrings and I just didn't like those when I was in college. And it just, cause I just, it's weird. I don't, I don't like things that are kind of on me like that. And I hated the feeling of having, I, I tried flip-flops once when I was a kid and I hated the fit. My mom bought me like the cheap dollar ones, you know, that you just buy to go to the water park. Right. Yeah. And I couldn't have that feeling between my toes. It just freaked me out. I hated them. I never won't have worn them since. So I, if those are flip-flops, I don't wear flip-flops. I'll wear slides. Uh, but the shoes that I have now that I wear a lot, Ryan, which I think are great, I wear UFOs. I, my wife bought me, got me a pair of those. She told me to try them out. And they're, they're like, you slide them on. Like they're, they're kind of like sketchers is the best way I can explain them. But they're so comfortable and they really help me not to have like, I, I had really bad stress fractures in my shins in my freshman year of college because I was starting at receiver and I got them in fall camp. I got like shin splints and I didn't want to tell anybody because I'm like, I don't want to lose my starting job. And it got to the point where, like the I, I went to the doctor at the end of the year because it just got so bad I couldn't walk. And she puts up the scan and she goes, everywhere you see black is everywhere you have stress fractures. And I swear to Ryan, there's hardly any white. <laughs> and she's like, You can't play anymore. I'm like, what do you mean? I can deal with the pain. She's like, No, you're a hit away from your your shin shattering. So since then, I I've always had problems with my shins. Like if I run, or if I you have shoes that don't fit great, and but these Ufos, man, they're great. So I, they're kind of like Crocs, but more tight-fitting and more look like shoes. Uh, it's the best way that I can explain them. I, I, I dig those quite a bit. But Tom, yeah, Tommy's I, definitely a Croc yeah, guy. Definitely a Croc guy. Yeah, Crocs and Glocks. And I'm, I'm a hard pass on both of those. I'm a SIG guy. <laughs> you know that. So, um, yeah, I got to pass on both of those
2: there, buddy. All right, we have a super chat here from J.K.R. Myers. Thank you, J.K.R. Thank you so much. Says, maybe I'm sick, but I rewatched the Marshall Stanford post game shows whenever I start to feel too good about Notre Dame football. Yeah. How do our new coaches ensure we avoid a disaster early in the season? First oh, wow. of all,
1: JKR, I'm going to tell you, don't be like that. There's no nothing wrong with being in a good mood. There's nothing wrong about being optimistic. There's nothing wrong with experiencing joy. You don't need to do something that's going to make you feel bad. Like, I don't understand this. And Tesla, like, I'll put something on the board. You know, I put that thing the other day on the board about uh, how the last two years, there's only been t- three teams that have recruited top five teams, had top five classes in the blue chip ratio. And like the first response is, yeah, but we're still not as good as Alabama and Georgia. Nobody's saying they are. Can't you just enjoy this for five freaking minutes? Can't you just be happy for five minutes? So what I would say is don't watch those games. Uh, don't do that to yourself. We all know that Notre Dame is not there yet, and we're going to enjoy the ride to them getting there. How do the new coaches ensure that we they avoid disaster early in the season? It's about finding consistency. That's the big key. And one of the things that uh you know, I was on a panel recently with uh Pete Sampson and Pete Byrne and and Pete Sampson made a good point and he talked about how, you know, early in the season, and this is this is true. I have heard this as well, and, and Pete really put in a in, in a good um phrased it well in this this uh panel that we had and and he said like look early in the year every week they'd have like a different motto for the game and it was just kind of hard to kind of get around it it goes after the stanford loss there was like just one motto the rest of the year and it was execute because what's the one thing we complained about every single game even the games that they won right it was this it was the inconsistency from an execution standpoint And so I think that's a lesson learned for a first-year coach. You've got to have and every coach, you've got to find that one or two themes that you just build your entire team around and they never go away. And everything else is built on top of that.
3: Yeah.
1: I think that was a lesson learned, but it's just about you've got to find consistency. And you've got to find a way to push the buttons to where your team is locked in as much as you can every single day in practice and workouts and all those type of things. And sometimes, especially as a young coach, you're trying to fade, you're trying to find that that rah-rah moment. And those are important. But Brian Kelly struggled to get his team emotionally ready for the big games, right? And that's because he couldn't motivate them to that next plateau. But the one thing that Brian Kelly was able to do is create a level of consistency to where they could just make sure they went out and beat everybody else, right? Well, Coach Freeman showed us that he can get his team mentally ready for that big moment. Now it's about, understand the need to have consistency from an emotional and mental standpoint to make sure that you're beating everybody else and that's really what it comes down to and it's it it comes from messaging Ryan there's got to be a consistent message a consistent standard of what you expect from your players every single day and that takes some time to get to players to buy into that and I think just the year two nature of being with Marcus Freeman is going to help with a lot of that. That's also partly why I'm excited about this team because I don't see them losing the, the the Marshall game this year. I don't see them losing the Stanford game this year. Now, can they win two of three of the bigger games instead of going one and two like last year? That remains to be seen. We're going to find that yeah. out. But I, I think that 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 – and we saw it late in the year. Ryan, if they played, if they'd have played Navy the way that they played Navy in the first six weeks of the season, they'd have lost. That, that flat out, they'd have lost. They'd have lost at Clemson. I mean, I mean Syracuse if they'd have played the way they did the first six games of the year because of that just that inconsistency week to week. What we found from them in the final six, you know, seven games where they were able to win games is there's still execution mistakes that were made that need to get cleaned up. But there was a greater level of consistency of effort, of focus, of of uh, all those type of things that allowed that team to look a lot better. And that's why I'm optimistic that you're not going to have to worry about those games anymore. It's now about, can he win the big ones? That's yeah. still a question mark. And we're going to find out. We're definitely going to find out this season for sure. Ryan, there's no doubt about it.
2: Well, I think buy-in is the big thing that you said that I agree with hundred percent. I mean, I just think that when you're playing those types of games, I think that there's just a lack of belief You know, when you get into those positions where you're down in the fourth quarter, you come back, you're now leading in the fourth quarter, and there's no belief that you're going to put the game away, right? Like, you don't believe that you're going to be put in the right position. But I think down the course of the season that you saw Notre Dame, I think the players bought in a lot more than what they had early in the season for the most part, right? Like, they had bought in. And I think that when you feel like that, when you feel like you're being put in the right position – you play looser, you play more confidently. And when all those things kind of coincide, I really think that that's when you don't have those blunders because you believe in the preparation. You right. believe in what the coaches are asking of you. And when that all comes right. to comes to alignments, then you don't lose yeah. those types of football games. It's Pete, not a talent thing. It's, a, it's an point, execution thing. Yeah. And Pete's point was coming from, this is what the players had told
1: him. They had told him that that was an issue that they had. Some of the veterans had told him that that was an issue that they had as far as there just was a different message every week. And it was hard to really know. And after the Stanford loss, it just became a very consistent theme and there was something they could rally around every week. And I think that was, that was the point that he was making is that's what the players were telling them. And, and, and it goes to the point where the, the buy-in yes, it's hard to buy in if I'm not sure what I'm supposed to buy into this week. Yep. Right. And that's where the consistency has to come from. And that's the issue with Al golden is, Week to week, you're just not sure what it's going to look like. You know, you just, there needs to be that. We need to know every week we're at least going to do this every week. We, you know, and I think that's something to help the offense down the stretch. I didn't like it, but you knew, hey, we got to be really good at running duo this week. If we're going to win, we got to be good at running duo this week. I mean, that's what it boiled down to. And I'd want it to be more than that, but you get the point. You get the point that I'm making on that. And so we'll we'll see how much it, it develops. But I, I'm I'm optimistic about it. And, and look, guys, Ryan said this. It's okay to be optimistic. You don't need to do something to bring yourself off of a cloud. So let's say they let's say they disappoint you in the fall. Then don't miss out on the four months of joy that you can have experience <laughs> now being excited about this team. Don't make yourself unnecessarily, you know, off this is what offseason is supposed to be. It's the fun time of the year where we talk about all the good and excited we are. I mean, it's okay to enjoy life, guys. I know that we live in a culture now that basically says you've got to be miserable and want to try to scare you. Everything is going to kill you now, right? Don't add to that, right? This is, sports is supposed to be fun, right? So you don't need to do something to make yourself feel bad. Just enjoy it. Enjoy it till they give you a reason not to enjoy it. That's what I would encourage you to do but very good question. And I very much appreciate the super chat very, very much.
2: From Quinn Kipler, Quinn, thank you for the question. Where are we Where are we on this compared to last year, further down the road, the same steps back.
1: Oh, definitely further further down the road. I mean, just the quarterback room alone. And the fact that Marcus Freeman has kind of learned his lessons from last year, which you knew was going to happen when the first year coach win or lose those two things alone, Ryan. And then, I don't know what Joe Rudolph's going to do with the offensive line, but he's stepping into such a better situation than what Harry Heastan came inherited. Yes. And so he's it's just about don't screw it up where you don't have to fix broken things. You don't have to fix a broken receiver room this year. You don't have to fix a broken o-line room this year. It's just okay, you're good now. Just keep keep going. Yeah, And that in the quarterback
2: room to me, Ryan, is just why it's light years ahead of where they were a year ago. Well, well, it it comes back to the negative conversation you just had, Brian, like people hyper-focus on the worst of it, right? It's like the safety depth that we talked about, right? It's like, wow, oh man, can we win games with the safety depth? And it's just like, What about the quarterback play that should be much better this year? What about the fact that you're bringing back the best left tackle in all of college football this year, potentially? Right. Like, what about the dynamic running backs that you bring back this year? There's a lot more positive than negative around the Notre Dame program. But I just think that we, again, we hyper focus a little bit too much on the couple things we don't have. And it's like, you can win with the other things you do have. Like, that's not, it's not all doom and gloom to your point. Right.
1: Right. You got another one here. We got a, a two parter from,
2: Rob Osgood. Rob's question is, this year can be special. New quarterbacks for the major pro powers this year, minus USC. If the offense can get strong early in games and make and make teams play catch-up, it will play in the D's hands. Part two. Part two. I feel if 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 the offense has that killer instinct early in games, then sky is the limit. In order for Notre Dame to win a championship – they need that attitude of it's okay to score 50 plus on everyone. Agree to, agree to, to a degree. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, yep. It, so that was more of a comment
1: than a question and a good one. The offense is going to be the thing that can determine if Notre Dame can win a championship. The Notre Dame defense has gotten Notre to the playoffs twice, twice, but their offense wasn't good enough to win once they got there. And that's the difference is the offense has got to be able to score. I mean, I think that's something that Kirby smart figured out now or Kirby Smart didn't go like full Nick Saban and say, we're going to turn into this explosive, try to score 50 a game type of thing. But he said, we un- I understand that to, to win those games, we've got to score more points. We couldn't score enough to beat Alabama in 2017. We couldn't score enough to beat Alabama in 2019 in the SEC title game. We've got to be able to score more points. But yet we're going to do it. We're going to be efficient. We're going to run the football. We're going to be really good at tight end. We're going to – when we need to take shots, we'll take shots. But we're going to be a very efficient, big play offense. I think that's where Notre Dame can be, but if they're not, they're going to have a harder time winning because they don't have their defense could be very good this year, but it's not Georgia good where you can win sort of in spite of your offense, like they did in my opinion in 2021. And and so, uh, yes, the offense is still that unit that Ryan that is going to determine if this team is really championship worthy it, because that look people want to deny it all they want. I, like, here's the word. Well, yeah, we defense still wins championships. I'm like, okay, make make state your case. Well. Georgia only needed to score eight to win. I'm like, no, the, <laughs> the, the counter is TCU needed to score 66 to win. Yeah. You're, you're, you're missing the point. In order to win, Georgia didn't need just eight because TCU scored more, right? But the point is, is to beat them, you would have needed 66. That's what you would have needed to beat Georgia. And we've talked about this. The teams that win conference, the national championships are averaging over 40 points a game in the championship game, not during the season, in the game. And that was true before Georgia hunts hung 65 on TCU and the teams that have been winning conference ch- in, in the playoff games, semifinal games have needed to score about 40. So I think it's like 39 and a half to about 40, but look at last year, look at the score of the two playoff games last year, Ryan, like, seriously, have you ever seen a year where the two teams that lost the college football playoff games scored in the forties? no, nah. I don't think so, I mean, no. Think about that. <laughs> yeah. Like, think about that. Like, literally last year, the two playoff teams that lost, Michigan scored 45 and lost. Georgia – or Ohio State scored 41 and lost. Yet, you're going to tell me defense wins championships. Well, Georgia's defense had to make stops. Well, of course. That's why Oklahoma's never one. But you're not winning because of your defense. It's of the two crap defenses in that game, your crap defense wasn't as crappy. That's what the playoff games were. Am I wrong? No, right, and that's what it is most years, and that's the thing people have to understand is now will it cycle back? Yeah, it'll cycle back someday. I'm confident it'll cycle cycle back someday, but that's not where we are now. 2021 was that way. You didn't have to have a great offense in 2021 to win a title, but that was an anomaly year, and that's the point. That's the point that I'm making. That was an anomaly year. That the points of the winners in the 2020 playoff 2020 playoff season was. 52 for the title game, 49 in the playoff, and then 31 in the playoff. And I would argue that Alabama's 31 is very misleading against Notre Dame. If Notre Dame, if Alabama called off the dogs on Notre Dame, we've talked about this. It was 31-7. Alabama pulled their starters. They could have hung two more touchdowns on Notre Dame in that game if they wanted to. Notre Dame didn't win that game because they couldn't score. It's as simple as that. The year before, you know, LSU scored 63 and 42 in their wins. I mean, it's just it's it's been that way for a long time. You know the 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 sc- winners the point total for the teams that won in 2019 or 18, 44, 45, and 30. Right, you've got to be able to score. There's no doubt. I don't care how good your defense is. You get to the postseason, you got to be able to score. They're they're just got to be able to score. Here's one and from Notre John A. One
2: Notre Dame hasn't been able to do that in the big no. games.
1: To your point, so no, yep. Regular season and postseason, Ryan, with the exception yep. of a couple regular seasons against Clemson that, you know. This year was legit, but the 2021 we've talked about why that yeah. one was the way that it was.
2: Question from John A1. How many players in the 2023 roster would you say will uh, will um, will amount we'll be, be among, among the top 250 players in all of college football? Uh, yeah. Okay. Whew. Quarterback. On offense, you've got the quarterback. Yep.
1: Joe whoever Ball. your lead running back is.
2: Yep.
1: Both of your tackles for sure right now. I would say I would, I'll predict one of the receivers will jump in there as well, in my opinion. That's why I'm I'm comfortable saying that right now. Defensively, both of your corners, in my opinion, are definitely in the conversation. The rest of the defense, Ryan, that's kind of why the other three position groups other than corner are in the, they're not there yet category. Because I don't know if they are going to have any top 250 players this year, right? I mean. That's what I mean, we don't know. You could
2: say you could say Jordan Botello could be that guy. Could Riley be, Mills could be now. that guy, but you don't right. know exactly. Not
1: now. Yeah. I mean, I think J.D. Bertrand could potentially get there if the pieces around him play better, but he doesn't belong in there right now. Riley Mills doesn't belong in there right now. Could he be? Sure. Could he be? Could, he be? could Xavier Watts be in that conversation? Absolutely. Is he there now? No, he's not there now. Yep. So I would comfortably say six for sure, like that I can point to right now – audric estimate or logan diggs whoever becomes the lead back sam hartman blake fisher uh, joe walt cam hart benjamin morrison right now comfortably right now i feel comfortable saying that yeah and i think most of those guys are top 100 i think joe walt's a top 100 guy i think sam hartman's a top 100 guy i think benjamin morrison's a top 100 guy i would argue of returners cam hart's a top 100 guy although right now i'd have him at the bottom and same thing with the running backs. I probably have them closer to the bottom, but uh same with Blake Fisher. But I'd, I'd argue those guys are top 100 caliber players coming back. And that's where Notre name is. There's this gap between the guys we know and what we don't know. How good they're going to be is determined by how many guys enter into this category during the season. That, that's that's where we're at. I kind of mm-hmm. want
2: to make a top 250 now to see how high some of these guys are a little bit. <laughs> Joe Walt's probably top five. I mean, on top 10. Possibly. Well, well, and days, I think Benjamin right? Morrison's top twenty-five coming back
1: from ne- for next year. Yeah, so um, yeah, we're gonna see. It's gonna be interesting. And then we've got one here, Ryan from uh, from JoJo Pineda left us a mailbag or left the super chest said, check his mailbag. We we got your we got your mailbag here, JoJo, and I think you had another one that we'll we'll get to here in a second. I'll go try and find while Ryan's reading this one.
2: Yep, JoJo says number two mailbag. While this offense, it's uh, while his while his offense, it's pretty much. Well, Tommy was running, but Jared Parker just keep keep it and maybe did stuff to it. Do you think it's fair for the kids? What do you think? Uh so you're keeping it the same, but just adding a little bit of wrinkles I think that's to them. What you need fair? to be? Yeah. I think that's where they need to be. I'm comfortable with that. I don't I don't
1: think Tommy Reese's offense was flawed at all. I I I've said this before. Part of this is personal bias. And the personal bias is I, I structurally like what Notre Dame did under Tom structurally. My disagreements were the way it was implemented. There was never a, I hate duo never run duo. (laughs) Never said that this past concept should never be run by a good football. It was more of a, I didn't always agree with the implementation of it. Yeah. And that's why I was like, there's games like, why don't we see this more often? Because structurally this stuff, it creates a lot of problems. It, and so that was sort of the issue I, with, to me, Jared Parker's like, look, let's build on the things we did well, and then find areas, ways, ways to improve on the others. And so I don't think you needed a, a wholesale change to this. Yeah. And and there's another part of this from Jojo that we'll get to as well that had something to do with, I guess, something that was said on Lucky Lefty, but yeah. Uh, okay. But it kind of plays into that, Ryan, and I'll just read it real quick. But he said, LL Nation had a great discussion about continuity between the offense and defense should Coach Marcus Freeman had kept his defense and not let Al run his defense if he's going to leave for the NFL soon. Number one is you can't look at it like that. If he leaves, he leaves. If you're going to hire a guy, then you need to let him run the defense his way. Do I think that Coach Freeman should have been more involved in making sure the defense is being run a certain way? I do. And I've said this before, one of the mistakes that Coach Freeman made was he gave his, two, his coaches last year, especially early, too much freedom to do things the way they wanted to do them. I think that was a mistake. But he did that because he was a very good coordinator that wanted to be able to do more of the things that he believed in and he felt that he couldn't. That All, all assistant coaches are that way. And you learn when you become head coach that, oh, there's a reason why these coaches want things done a certain way because you realize how much I have to marry everything together. And so do I think he should have kept his defense? I made that case a year ago that you could you could argue maybe he should have done that. I would have said I think what he should have done is either a hired a college coordinator like a Joe Rossi, somebody like that, or been more involved with Al Washington, Al Golden to make sure he understands, hey, we're not an NFL team. We got to establish a foundation first and then build on that. But that's not what Freeman did in 2021 either, which is why early on the season, they weren't as good on defense. He had to then backtrack, not backtrack, kind of reestablish. Hey, we're going to get back to basics. And that's when the defense got really good. That's a lesson now that you hope that Coach Freeman's going to learn from after two years where the offense, the defense struggled out of the gate to make plays because they put you put too much on the players early. Stop. You've now had that happen twice, when you ran the defense and when Al Golden ran the defense. So build the foundation first, then add stuff onto it, and you're going to be pretty good. Will they learn that lesson? I don't know. Yeah. But I don't necessarily think Marcus Freeman running the defense – again, I made a case for it, but at the end of the day, I still wanted him to hire somebody that could do the job. I just wanted him to be more involved on defense, not necessarily run the defense. That was my opinion, Ryan, because I don't know if I was in a position where – I felt Tommy Rees should have had complete autonomy on offense either. So he did, he did need to have some level of influence on both sides of the ball. And you can't do that. If you're, if you're, if you're playing, if you're basically still running the defense, in my opinion, I just, I don't think that you can, there may come a time down the road where Marcus Freeman says, you know what? I'm going to run the defense now because let's say he's got Jared Parker staying around and Jared Parker's running the offense. And it's just a man, just a well-oiled machine. And he loses a veteran coordinator and, just doesn't love the options. I, you know what? I'm going to run the defense because I completely trust my offensive staff to do that. Maybe, maybe, but I think he wants to be head coach. I think he wants to be in a situation from a recruiting standpoint where he can be the head coach as well. I mean, there's a lot of benefits to that, in my opinion. Um, so I don't know. That's my two cents on that, Ryan. I'm not sure what, what you think about that.
2: I mean, I, I think that it's a, it's a subtle balance, in my opinion. Like, I don't think that there's a perfect answer to it, JoJo. I, I think for me, in the situation that you're in, when you're Marcus Freeman and you are, look, I understand that Tom grisha has got hired by Alabama. So there's a different perspective on him, I guess, now than maybe what was previously while he was at Notre Dame. But the fact of the matter was that he was still a very young coordinator, right? He was still only 31 years old. If this was a situation where you had an Andy Ludwig, for instance, right? If I'm Marcus Freeman, I'm just like, I can just kind of trust that, that guy knows what he's doing because he's been doing it for so long. I think that you just need to have a little bit more of the reins on your program, right? Mm-hmm. And it's no disrespect to Tommy Reese. It's no it's it's more just a you need to understand that like the guy is still an inexperienced offensive coordinator. He's still growing, he's still young. You need to be able to in in you know, elicit that this is your program and it's going to be run this certain way. And if it's not, you need to be able to put your foot in the ground and be like, "Nope, that's not happening anymore. But you also need to have a certain type of autonomy to a degree with some coaches. So I think that there's a a subtle balance for me. I think that there definitely need to be more hand in it. I think that there definitely need to be in that situation. And with Jared Parker, it's the same thing, you know, like Jared Parker is an inexperienced offensive coordinator on the college level. So Coach Freeman needs to be involved, I think, more heavily. And what you're implementing and what you're doing offensively, not calling plays. Not yeah, not scheme-wise, unders- but yeah, but how they go about their business on a daily basis. Just exactly. so
1: people understand what we mean by implementing. It's he's not saying, hey, run this concept, run this play, but it's more about yes. hey, here's what the structure needs to be, here's the philosophy that I want. This is why I, what I hired you to do exactly. Yeah. Hey, we need to be more detailed. But the problem with the defense is Ryan is we can complain about Al Golden being too complex, but that's was the issue that Marcus Freeman had early in 2021. Sure. So clearly this is an issue with Marcus Freeman to understand, like, hey, look, you've got to understand that, yes, you have to have some – you just can't line up and just play your base defense all game. Nobody has – Georgia can't do that, and they're the closest to it. Notre Dame definitely can't do that, but the point is you can't get to step two until you really have step one down. You can't. And – I think that's what they've missed the last two years is, and I think that's something that hurt Clark Lee a little bit. I think sometimes coaches say, well, I've been teaching it this way for three years. True. But half your defense has only been in the system for one or two. Right. And, and, and you have to understand that you sometimes have in college, you have to sort of reemphasize that. And to me, that's what spring ball should be every year. Hey, spring ball is a back to basics period. And I think that the good teams on the great teams, understand that. And, you know, uh, that's that's something no name no name no needs to get to and that's something that coach freeman needs to learn it's not like he believes that and al golden's defying him it's not it's all the same thing the difference is is marcus Freeman is able to adapt quicker in 2021 he realized like look i put these guys in a bad spot i'm gonna fix that and he reversed course pretty early in the season yeah al golden never really did until freeman kind of stepped in and said hey we gotta we gotta you know, make some adjustments here. And that's going to be the thing for that coach is going to have to do. In my opinion, I got a lot of good questions here today, Ryan, here, here's, um, here, here's some Tommy guns. It's like, Tommy, do you want to talk Notre Dame football at all, man? <laughs> or she's got like non football questions every day. These are for Friday
2: shows, man. Tommy's question is, did y'all see the highlight of the dude who jumped down into the field at Dodger stadium in order to propose to his girlfriend and then got whopped by security. I did not I see did, this. Tommy. I did see I did. that. Yeah, some guy jumped in this. like outfield and
1: got on a knee and got destroyed. I'm so sick of fans thinking that the game is about them.
2: Wait, was his was his Fiat? Fia, I don't know if she said yes or not. she Was not know. I think she said yes, but she was in the stands. Yeah. Oh, she was in the stands, and he jumped out on yeah. the field to propose from the field. Yeah, his clown. That's stupid. Stupid. Yeah. <laughs> That's really dumb. Nobody's there. It's
1: like umpires. Nobody's like like the. The the uh, nobody's there to watch you play. No one's there to watch you propose to your girlfriend on the field. Stay, you don't belong. Fans don't belong on the field. I've said this about media. Media does not belong in the locker room, in my opinion. They don't. Post pregame, post-game, they don't belong in the locker room. That is the players and coaches space. That's yeah. their universe. Right? I don't want Marcus Freeman come over to my house trying to ask me questions. That's kind of how I look at it. That's their sacred place, isn't that locker room? When they're out on the field, we have a right to see and observe and do all that, but we don't have a right to be down on the field. I don't have a right to if to to cover the team. If you're going to open press, well, then I need to be standing there right behind the quarterback so I can hear and see. Her. No, I don't have a right. That's not my space, right? That's their space. Yep. The field on game day, especially, is not the place for fans and there's way too many fans because everybody wants to get their 5 minutes of fame for doing something stupid that gets, goes viral. I hate viral. I hate the whole thing about it. You know, like that's not your place. Stay off of it. And so everybody thinks it's funny. I think it's stupid. And I wish they would make I wish they would like literally make harsher punishments for doing those things. You're never allowed to back here and you're going to pay some big fine or you know maybe even go to jail. Because here's the thing, if it becomes acceptable what about that one time somebody runs on the field with bad intentions? Yeah. Because if you think secure, I mean, have you ever, I mean, Ryan, you, you and I go through this all the time. Security is so bad. Yeah, Like it's not, if I wanted to get something in, I'm getting something in and it takes one person with bad intentions to where we've desensitized ourselves to the fact of people being on the field that we're, we're there. Like I've had seen, I've seen people say, you know, he didn't have to hit that guy that hard. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. You don't walk out, hey sir. You need to go off because what if, what if that's a ploy to then do something else to attract a player to get closer to him, and he's got bad intentions? Yeah. No, that's not your place. Just like players shouldn't go into the stands and go after fans. That's that's not your place. Your place on the court or on the field or the gridiron or whatever. The fans, that's their spot up there. You stay in your zone. I'll stay in mine, and we'll all have a happy existence. Yeah. But uh, too many fans think it's just because it's a cut, everybody has. This, it's about me. Mentality. It's about me. I'll do whatever makes me happy. Bull crap. I'm tired of that. You don't belong there. And
2: so I don't think it's funny. I don't think it's cute. I don't think it's romantic. You're an idiot.
1: Stay off the field.
2: Also, people do this all the time where they reach out to the people that run the events and they say, Hey, can you just get us on the screen so I right. can propose to my girlfriend? <laughs> like you There's can find right the wrong mom way to do out. something
1: like that. Yeah. yeah and that's in between innings and it's cool. And yeah. I think that's pretty
2: cool. You know,
1: yes, you're correct. Yeah. Except that one time that that dude asked a girl and she slaps him and runs away. Did you see
2: that one a few years ago? No, that was hilarious. That's funny. Some though. guy proposed and she smacked him and ran away. It was hilarious. My wife probably would have done that to yeah. me too. Cause she would yeah. not have liked it being asked that way. Yes. But, yeah. but yeah, I was glad the security <laughs> guy drilled the guy the way they did. It was great tackle. I mean, just
1: drove his hips through him and it was a great form tackle. Hmm. Like you see the one that one, that lady protester ran on the NBA court and some guy just speared her. It was great. Yes. It was <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. Yes. But that's what you des- you deserve worse than that. Like to me, it's like no holds barred. You go into that zone, you're getting a beating, you know, that's, that's how I feel about it. But you know, that's just me. That's just me and my whatever.
2: All right. Here, here's a good one. Another good one from John A1. John A1 says, if you were an opposing coach facing Notre Dame, which player on each side of the ball are you most concerned with? Hmm. That's a really good question.
1: Uh offensively, Ryan, I think it, d- defensively to me, it's, it's, it's Cam Hart, to be honest with you, Cam Hart or Benjamin Morrison, because yeah. with the reason I say that is, is because it's easier for me to avoid the boundary guy. I still have the rest of the field to worry about. If I have a guy that's a field guy, that's a real, because I always feel like more tips and things like that can happen to the field than to the boundary. That's just my opinion of it. Um, so not that. Cam Hart's a better player than Benjamin Morrison, just that more bad can happen to the field. You don't yeah. see a lot of teams running bubble screens out of trips into the boundary. You know what I'm saying? You're seeing it in the field, and all of a sudden Cam Hart comes up and blows a dude up, which we've seen him do, and all of a sudden the ball goes flying up in the air, and you got a game changing play. You, you know what I mean? So that's why I'd yeah. say probably Cam Hart for me. Uh it's if you have a really, really good field corner, man, it it it's problematic. It really yeah. is.
2: I, I'd probably go Benjamin Morrison, but I think both the answers are acceptable. Yeah. Honestly, like it's
1: yeah, you're. I mean, I either way, I'm way you're. Player. I'm looking at it. From off half the
2: field. field. It, yeah. for me,
1: but it's not. It's not often half the field though. That's the whole point. Like it's sure the ball is usually on a hash, right? And that's kind of my point. Is if Benjamin's here, I have a lot of room to work with. If because because they don't play left right, because they play field, field. if they were a left right team, right? I'd say Benjamin Morrison because there's going to be snaps for Benjamin Morrison's going to be to the field. Right, that, so as an offensive coordinator, there's more I can do to avoid a boundary corner that's really good than there is to a really good field corner. That's just, and that's kind of where the the, the I, I viewed the question defensively. Who is the guy on offense that I'm most concerned about right now? I don't.
2: It's probably one of the running.
1: It's probably one of the running backs. Just knowing what I know for me, it's Chris Tyree, and I think we saw that played out last year in games too, because. To beat to beat to stop Audric Estime and Logan Diggs, I don't necessarily have to stop them. I have to stop Billy Shrouth and Zeke Correll and you know whoever the guards are. You know what I mean? Like it Chris Tyree to me, if you use him correctly, is the guy that makes he may not beat you, but he's the guy that can do more to put you at a bind overall. So if, if you're gonna not play him on the perimeter, he can hit an eighty yard home run. If you overplay him, then now you've got Audrick and Logan and those guys gashing you. And I think that's what what we saw last year, Ryan, is we saw that against Clemson, but especially the bowl game against South Carolina. South Carolina was petrified of Chris Tyree making a play last year. Petrified. They overreacted. Every time he went in motion, they dramatically overreacted. And they didn't react that way when Lorenzo Styles and other guys went in motion. When Chris Tyree
2: went in motion, they were petrified of him. I mean, I guess if if I'm a defense, I'm probably worried most about Sam Hartman, to be honest. I'm like, I need to rattle that guy and get in his head a little bit throughout the game. Like, that's kind of my thought process is, yeah, I I like to think that Sam Hartman is. Because, like, if I'm an outside perspective, like, yeah, you look at the wide receivers, for instance, you're like, man, there's a lot of talent there. But, like, proven production, not as much, right? So, like, Sam Hartman's the guy that I know he has proven production. Like, there's no doubt about that right so i think if i'm a defense i'm gonna let i'm gonna be like hey let's try to get some shots on hartman early let's start moving the 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 front around a little bit just to make him have to think right to really make him kind of fluster early on in the game so i think hartman would probably be the guy for me you know part
1: of the reason that tyree
2: was that guy for
1: you do you know who recruited uh chris tyree almost committed to oklahoma if you remember um he was leaning towards Notre Dame strongly. Visited Oklahoma and almost committed there. And then Chip Long had to step in and and fix it. Do you know who the guy that recruited him to Oklahoma was? It was Shane Beamer. So Shane Beamer knew what Chris Tyree could do, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, But it's that kind of player to me that – which is why it's so important to have that kind of guy, Ryan. You know what I mean? Yep. I think your quarterback quarterback argument is fair as well. Because if you can rattle him, then you – Facto rattle everybody, you know, get everybody else out of sync. That's a good point. That's a good sure. that's a good argument. Okay, let's get to some more here. So good questions today. Here's one from I'm gonna I'm gonna read this one, Ryan, because it's a draft question for you. Okay, call me Ty. Says draft question right now. If you knew Fisher was going to declare next year, where do you think he would get drafted? And do
2: you think if he gets second round interest, would you expect him to return? I, I think that he would probably be a top hundred player. Call me Ty, and that that's more in the second, third round conversation right now, because I think his traits are fantastic. You know, I mean, you can't teach 6'6". I know he's down to 3'10", but he's played well over 320 during his career at Notre Dame. I think he was 327 last year. He's got raw athleticism. He's got physicality. And honestly, there's just not enough good offensive linemen in the NFL. Like, there's not. And a guy like him, I think that you could say, could play offensive tackle in the NFL, could play right tackle, but also could be a really impactful guard potentially. So I think he has the upside to being a top 50 pick, but like generally speaking right now, based upon what we saw this past year, as far as like some inconsistencies, some things that he needs to work on, I'll say top 100 to be, you know, reserved a little bit, but I think he has top 50 upside because he has all the traits that you would look for. It's just about now putting it together and being a consistent version of himself every week. Let me ask you this.
1: Let me ask you this question, Ryan. If he makes a normal sophomore to junior year jump, I get what you're saying. You, you can only evaluate him off of what he did last year. Very fair. Yeah, yeah. Let's just say he makes a normal sophomore to junior jump. Where does that put him in the ranking? Does that is that enough to get him to top fifty? Because what a, is a normal yeah. sophomore to junior jump? You get a little bit stronger, but you get more consistent. That's that's you know that's so. we i not talking about all of a sudden he becomes way more dominant, or just a normal sophomore to junior jump, year one to year two starter jump. Is he top
2: fifty at that point in time? Yeah, yeah, he could be because so I, he'd have I think to
1: get a big jump to get in the round. Would you say he has to kind of make a big leap this next year to be in round one next year? Do you th- or do you think he needs? Yeah. Is that what you're saying.
2: You think he needs a couple I, more years to get to that point? I, I think that it needed a little bit of a big jump because I I, I honestly think that there's going to be some questions. I don't have any intel on this, so like I don't know what the scouts think about this. But based upon what I've seen, Blake Fisher, I think that there's going to be some hesitation whether if he's a true offensive tackle at the next level or if right. he's a guy that's going to slide inside a guard. Like I'm not 100 percent sure if there's like going to be a foregone conclusion like that guy's a right tackle at the next level I think there's gonna be some hesitation there if you if he calms that and it's like you're a really good right tackle at the next level then you're in that borderline first round range right and then if he goes back to school and he shows that he plays left tackle then we're talking about slam dunk first round from the talent perspective that he puts together but obviously that's a couple years into the future now so who knows
1: I just want to say this. I have a question from DC Irish about the administration being involved, in winning a championship. I'm going to have a lot to say about that this summer, but I, I just want to kind of get through spring ball and kind of focus on the team for right now. But I, I promise you we'll talk more about that in the off season. I I do got to save some stuff for the off season. And that's not something that's changing right now. So I, I'm going to leave that. I'm, just, I'm not ignoring your question. I just it, another time. Another yeah. time, we'll get to that. I want today's show a, to be more a little, a little bit players. more of a widespread conversation. As yeah, well, I mean, we could right? do a whole not show as, on that, yeah. a whole week <laughs> right. of shows on that. Um, So, so I'm not ignoring. Just like, let's just wait till a little bit, get closer in the off season, and and I'll or into the off season,
2: and I'll I'll have a lot to say on that. Here we go from Tom Spagnolo. Tom's question: With less proven talent, does the force golden to to simplify the defense more? It should.
1: It Will should, it? Yeah. I don't make, know, but that's exactly, I mean, it should, absolutely. Make simplify, things easy for young players, man. Make things easy. You simplify until they prove they're ready for the next jump. I, yeah. I don't understand why this is so hard for Co. And we see it happen all the time. It just blows my mind how you don't see that this happens constantly. Like, well, you know, we keep doing this and the players can't figure it out. Then stop asking them to do that. I, I, I There's a coach in their name. Who I, who I knew, and he would just complain every game about after every game about this kid. I'm like, dude, you complain about the same. I said this to him. I was like, dude, you complain about him after doing the same, not doing the same thing after every game. At what point do you stop asking this kid to do that? <laughs> you know, uh, it just it it's frustrating. Well, Marish keeps making the same mistakes. Well, stop asking him to do the stuff he's making the mistakes on then, or put right. somebody else in there. Yeah, Stop blaming him field. for why those mistakes are happening. You know, if if this is, make sure that especially if. And here is other thing. We got to do a lot because I'm not as I'm not as locked. I don't think the talents of an elite defense. Fine. Even more reason not to be too scheme heavy. A, a team without talent needs to be. Look at Minnesota. They're not a super talented team. They were a lot more talented on defense in 2019 than they are now, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yes, I mean they had multiple NFL players in their secondary back then. I don't know if they have a lot of NFL players in their current defense. I I haven't seen anyway, but they were really good on defense this year. Why? Because those kids knew how to do. They were lined up in the right place in the right spot all the time. They don't make mistakes. The fundamentals were great. At a place like Notre Dame, you get to that level first, and then add some complexities as you get into the season. You're going to be a great defense. But the problem that Notre Dame had last year wasn't a lack of talent. It was a lack of basics. It was a lack of fundamentals. There was nothing they could hang their hat on if things weren't going well. If Maris Leuifel, I don't care what the play, if he simply was prepared and you repped with him so much that it was beat into his head and you weren't throwing a million responsibilities at him, he sees that little under route from the Marshall tight end and he jumps it and Notre Dame forces a punt inside your own 10-yard line when your team is up, what was it, 16 to – Six 14 to 12 or something like that against Marshall. Yeah. Yep. And instead, Marshall goes right down the field and scores a touchdown to make it 19 to 14 because they couldn't do the fundamentals correctly. And I could point to this to throughout the season where it was the lack of fundamentals that got you beat. Not because, you know, you weren't scheming properly. It was you couldn't do the basics well enough to win. And it's maddening, maddening to see that continue to happen ryan and that's my and if you fix that you automatically get better and then as your players start to master those then so we're not saying run two coverages and three alignments it's master technique lining up this these basic things that are going to go no matter what your game plan is you got to be good at these things you better make sure your team is a great tackling team before they're a team that can handle 97 different looks and fronts
2: and coverages and blitzes because if you got great calls, but you can't tackle. Guess what? It's not going to work. Coaching is about teaching, man. We've always talked about that. Right. I mean, I, I I really, I like, I was, a, I taught math. Right. And it's like, I'm not going to teach a kid how to do long division. If they don't know their times tables, like if you don't Mm -hmm. know how to multiply, you can't do long division. Like that's kind of a basic principle. Right. It's the same thing of like, Brian, like I'm not going to ask a a secondary to run cover six. If they don't know cover three or cover two, like that's part of the equation. Right. Right. Like, You need to be able to make sure that the basics are all sound or else you can't build off of it. That's how gaps are created in understanding and gaps being created. in Understanding is why guys don't play fast. That's that's the key for it. Agree.
1: Agree. Here we got one from Tyler Smith. Actually, I'll read this one, Ryan, because this is also an NFL draft question from Tyler, which is a good one. I want, I'm curious to hear your answer on this one, Ryan. Tyler Smith says NFL question. How do you feel about the Ravens taking Hendon hooker? If they get rid of Lamar. Jackson which i mean that's a given now right is i mean it, there's no way lamar goes it's back to ball now right very hard
2: to come back from this if they yeah. do like yeah i look i like Hendon hooker a lot i i do think in my opinion that lamar when healthy has been making more out of little at times right like i don't think that the offensive line has been great i think it's been okay i don't think the wide receivers have been great i think they've just been rotating running backs in like jk dobbins has not been able to stay healthy outside of Mark Andrews. It's just been very not great at the skill position. Right. And I think putting a guy like Hendon hooker who I like, I like Hendon hooker as a second or third round type of quarterback and you develop him, And I think that he has some starting upside in the league, but you're going to put him in a situation where you're asking him to make a lot out of little. And I don't think that's fair to any rookie quarterback in general, to be honest with you. So I mean, if the expectation is that Hendon Hooker started day one and he has to do with what Lamar was working with in Baltimore from a skill position perspective, I think he's doomed to fail, at least in year yeah. one. Like, that's a tough spot to put someone in. It really is, man. I Look, for all the all the slack that Lamar gets, and some of it's justified, some of it's not, right? He did do some good things with not a lot of great talent over the last couple of years from the skill position right. perspective. That is true. And I think throwing yeah. Hennon Hooker into that situation – it's not very fair but it also wouldn't be fair if you just threw Bryce Young into that or you threw right. through CJ Stroud like I just don't think that's a great situation to be in if you're Baltimore. For me Ryan, if you're going to
1: draft Hendon Hooker to eventually have him be your starting quarterback in a year or two, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I, I, I am. I mean, let Tyler Hunt, Hunt Huntley be your quarterback this year and let and groom Hendon and build because you got to build up the talent around him I think that's that point you you mentioned is you nailed that if Hendon Hooker sitting there for me in round two I'm taking him. I and and you know right there aren't that many bigger Hendon Hooker fans than me that you know you know this I I, when he went to Tennessee I said that's a great great move because I thought Virginia Tech wasted him yeah and and so um
3: you know, I, the I look
1: at it and so I, bad,
2: man. That offense yeah. is so bad.
1: Yeah, and so I just I feel like you've got a. You're, he's not the kind of quarterback that you can put onto a team, though, and he's going to make everyone around him better. He's just not that. Especially coming off a torn, a late season torn ACL, he's probably not going to be ready to start the season anyway. So, but if you could get him, if I could get him in round two, I'd be. And I'm a quarterback needy team. I'd be really happy, especially if I had a situation where, you know, let me let him sit and cook a little bit for the next year or two and then and then i can turn it over to him i think Hendon hooker can be an nfl quarterback i do i just don't think he's a guy that's going to go win rookie of the year next year right because he's
2: not the athlete lamar was hendon hooker's a drop back quarterback who can run but he's a drop back quarterback right you're not you're not going to make the offense exactly what you did with lamar like you're not running quarterback power all day with with hendon hooker like that's not gonna be Mm -hmm. his game you can sneak it in occasionally sure in the right situation but Yeah, I think that you just need to be able to – you need to be able to assimilate and be patient if I'm the Ravens Mm -hmm. because I just don't think that that skill position is ready to just throw a quarterback in there and just be ready to go. Like I just don't think they're there yet. Right. Next question here from – we have one from Bill Walsh. And Bill says, do you see Christian Gray at safety in the future? I, I don't, don't see the need for it. I don't see the need. Well, for I don't it, see. Right. He's, I don't think he's got the body for it, to be
1: honest with you. He's a skinny, he's a, he's built a lot like Benjamin Morrison. I just, if you had a safety position, that was a pure cover position and he couldn't crack your lineup at corner, maybe, but that just, that position doesn't exist right now, in my opinion. I just don't see the need for it. To your point, right? I think you nailed it. There's no need, but I don't think he has a body for it either. I mean, Bar- yeah. Clarence Lewis is on the edge of, does he have the body for it? He's on the edge of it. And I think he's 96
2: pounds and he's yeah.
1: thicker than Christian was coming out of high school. Yeah. So I just, I don't, I don't see the need or the fit. I think, I think Christian, I think the best track for Christian gray is I hope that he either earns the nickel job this year or becomes sort of like that, that a rotation guy where he can, you know, spell, you know, maybe chance talker can spell Benjamin Morrison in the boundary and then Jaden Mickey I pray that Jaden can become a nickel. I think Jaden Mickey, if he commits to it, could be a really good nickel. You know, but either Christian or or, or Jaden Mickey, those two guys earn spots at the nickel and field corner. So I don't care which role. And then eventually Christian wins that job at Rover, I mean at the field corner and plays a Cam, and then he steps in for Benjamin. And when Benjamin leaves, and that's the career arc for him. I think Cam Hart's got a chance to be special. But he's a corner. He's a cover guy. Yeah. He's not a thumper. He's not a guy that's going to come up and – like Cam Hart physically could play safety. He's a thumper. He can hit. I wouldn't put him there. I mean, I I don't know if he can hold up there, but he could do it physically. I don't think Christian Gray is ever going to have the body type to be – like Julian Love could do that because he was a thicker kid. Julian Love was built like a running back. I mean, if you go back and look at Julian Love in high school, he was a really good running back in return, man. He's got a thicker, lower body, you know, and, and he can handle that position. I don't think Christian Gray's got the body
2: for that. I'm just, I'm also not in favor of putting six foot guys with long arms that can run four, four at safety. (laughs) Usually like that's, he's in a corner. He's staying at the corner.
1: Yep. Here we go.
2: Let's get to the next question here from uh, TB12 for Heisman. His question is, or their question is, excuse me, anything on Jalen McLean setting up a spring visit? Is there a possibility for Andrew's uh, Gallegos McLean safety class? Uh, So we don't have anything on McLean. Last time I talked to him, which was about four to five days ago, I guess, at this point, he hadn't had anything set up there yet. I know Notre Dame is trying to get him on campus. I know he has expressed interest of going up to Notre Dame this spring, but nothing has been set up or finalized yet. Has he been anywhere this spring? He went to Oregon once at
3: least.
1: Yeah, that's I mean, he hasn't really been to a lot of places this spring as far as I can tell, Ryan, I, I don't, I don't know what the whole, I mean, I don't know if he's in class, if he's on a, I don't know what the deal is. I know he's going to be going to Penn state or did he, I think he did go to, did he go to Penn state as well? I'm not sure about that one. I know so for sure he went to I'll, Oregon. He's I'll say this. Oregon. I've heard a lot about, he likes Notre Dame a lot. The longer it goes without him visiting, the more concerned I'm going to be about yep. their ability to land him. Yep. If he doesn't make it up this spring, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to be a little bit concerned. If he doesn't get on campus until an official visit, that's going to make me a little bit concerned. Same. Notre Dame's success rate for landing guys who only take official visits is not great. Now, they have gotten guys like that, but it's not great. Yep. So I, I, But is there a possibility for that class? Absolutely, there's a possibility for that class. Is is it? Uh, but here's the deal. If you're going to talk about a Notre Dame safety class, you have to include Kennedy Urlacher because I think he'll end up being the first one to join the class is my prediction. I, I agree. And and I think he's a better player than Gallegos. And I and I like yeah. Gallegos a little bit more than you do, Ryan. Uh, but I mean if 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 I'm drawing up my ideal three man class, it's it's you know of legit of legitimate prospects. Dewan Lane's talking to Notre Dame more now. I'm not ready to jump onto the they might get Dewan Lane right yet. But you give me a class of Andrews McLean, and Kennedy Erlacher and I'm very happy about this safety class. Is there a Kyle Hamilton? No, there's not. But as I said before, you don't need that at safety. You don't need elite guys of safety, right? It's nice to have them if you can get them, but you're not going to get those guys every year. And I just, I don't think that, I don't think that I'd like to get an elite safety, but that guy's is not an option right now. But you give me that three-man group of Andrews, Gaios, and McLean, that's a good class. I just would feel even better if you could put Kennedy or Lacker in there. Of that
2: group. Man, I, I really like I really like Jalen McLean, man. Like that's a mm-hmm. guy that, man. Notre Dame almost needs to land in this class, man. They almost need to land that type of player, like a true a guy that can truly make an impact from depth. Like I think you're missing a few of those guys on the roster currently. I think Jalen is a big one Davis Andrews another one that obviously we both like I know we both like Kennedy Erlacher as well mm-hmm. but man McLean is a guy that should be a priority in my opinion again yeah. not from aane's perspective I don't I don't know what they think about that but Jalen McLean would be for me
1: yeah he's a very good player they have to be able to get him on campus soon that yes he's from a private school in New Jersey if you can't get that kid on campus this spring then there's major problems at the safety position I'm sorry yeah. but there there just are they just are. We'll, 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 and that's the concern I have about the defense moving forward is who's the rock star recruiter or the, even the really good recruiter outside of Mike Miggins. People keep telling me Chris O'Leary is a good recruiter. I'm like, show me based on what,
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: based on what, you know, he's got to step up and I hope he does. Cause I think he's a good, fo- he's a good coach, but he, he's got to step up as a recruiter. I'm sorry. It just, there's just, we'll, we'll see. It's a big year it's, at safety.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
3: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. I'm
1: going to ask this one because this is this is going to be a good one for you. Uh, Justin yeah. Archer asks, Justin Scott has uh, got compared to Christian Wilkins by On3 and Christian Barmore by 247. Who would you compare him to? I think those are pretty good comparisons. Personally. I,
2: I actually kind of really like the Christian Barmore one mm-hmm. personally, because I think the thing about Justin that's rare is that at 6'4", plus 310 pounds, he moves really well. I mean, Barmore was a guy at Alabama that you could play anywhere from a shade nose all the way out to like a 4'4 four, four eye at times, right? Because like he can move a little bit. Uh, Wilkins is a little bit more of a condensed player. Like he was a good athlete, but Wilkins is more like I want to keep him in that vicinity, right? Like I want him to be physical at the point of attack. I want him to be like kind of a a physical presence. Just this guy can do that stuff. But I like the the Barmore one in this situation because I think that he can move around a little bit and that length allows him to work out to those four, four eyes, maybe into a five at times, although that's obviously not going to be a base situation. But I actually really like that Barmore one, man. I think that one makes a lot of sense. I like that. I think Barmore
1: was a better pass rusher than Christian Wilkins. I think Christian Wilkins was a more consistent player over a period of time. Barmore defender. flashed, yeah. Uh, so I think Christian Wilkins is is a good comp for Justin Scott from a career standpoint. Like I think his career could look a lot more like Christian Wilkins production wise because Christian Christian Barmore had one year at Alabama where he did anything. His, his he was only in the rotation for two years. His first year had six tackles for loss and two sacks. And then his next year has like nine and a half tackles for loss and eight sacks. Yep. And and uh I think I think that uh I could see Justin Wilkins being similar to that sack wise in his later in his years, where Christian Wilkins never had more than five and a half sacks, and that came in a year where they played 15 games. But I do think he could also be more of a 10 plus tackle for loss guy, which is what Christian Wilkins was throughout his career. I mean he was 13, 9, 14. So I think he's a little bit of a a hybrid he's got a little bit of each of their games he's not either one of them fully uh, he's but i think if i had to say who's he more like i'd say probably barmore as a athlete wilkins as a pr- from a production potential is that fair does that
2: make sense ryan the, what i'm saying yeah. there
1: i think just nope. athletically i think barmore's a really good comparison Ryan. i think you're spot on on
2: that i think so too For body the type is a lot similar yeah yeah, yeah. very very similar Andre tonsil here with a, with a question, Ryan. Andre says, would you rather for them to be in the hunt every year, or maybe have a chance to win a championship every two to three years, every year being the hunt man. Again, I I talked about law of averages earlier, Andre. And for me, the more chances you have at it, the better opportunity you have to win one, right? Like the law of averages say that the more opportunities you have to shoot a shot, the more opportunities you have to make more, right? Like that's kind of where I am in that situation. So I would say, consistency on a year-to-year basis more than maybe every two to three years you have a really good football team in my opinion I I think if you're gonna if you're gonna be in the hunt every year
1: you're gonna have a shot to win a championship every two or three years I mean I I think I think it's kind of like the chicken and the egg Ryan you know one of those has to come first being a consistent contender is how you win championships every two to three years teams that aren't consistent contenders don't that's why LSU you know, has won one championship in the last what 15 years just just one and they've had a lot of four they've had a lot more four lost seasons than they've had championship contending seasons yeah right? and had that one year that went but that's why Clemson's in it more often why Ohio State you know has only won one championship but they're consistently more you feel like they have a better shot year after year uh, it's why Georgia's getting there. It's why Alabama's been there. They're contenders every year. If you're just got because if you're just a contender every two three years, then your margin for error is a lot smaller. And so uh, I'm I'm a, I think the contender every year leads to being able to win a potentially win a title every two to three years. In my opinion, right? I just that's my plus. I think it's more fun that way to enjoy a team that's just good every year than a team yep. that wins a title one year and then you, know, you got a couple four loss seasons. Then maybe you win a title the next year as long as it ends with titles,
2: I'm, I'm, you know, I'm good to get there. I agree. Question from Nathan Milton. Is it difficult to transition to safety from corner? When do you think Notre Dame will put out more info on Jalen Snead? I mean, Nathan, it depends who the player is. I mean, some guys are, it's a natural kind of switch from corner to safety because it's just, there's different attributes to their game that might, Parlay to making that switch, you know, the ability to play in a little bit more condensed space, potentially on the inside. Maybe they have really good eye discipline, but they're not the greatest athlete of all time. So just kind of being able to see the game from a more inside out perspective helps a lot. So I really think it depends on what the corner is for me, Brian. It's like some guys are natural transitions into safety, some guys aren't. Some guys need a lot of maturation. It really comes down to a feel thing, right? Like some guys just have a natural feel. And I think that transition is usually better to safety.
1: Agree. I think you nailed it. It's a very good question, but I'll just, it's different for every player. Some guys can play anywhere and they just get it. Some guys are just, I can only play right-handed or I can only play left-handed or, you know, they can't. Some guys can move to right tackle, left tackle easily. Ryan, some guys can't. I think most guys can, just like I think most corners can move to safety. And I think that's an easier transition than the other way around. In my opinion, in today's game, it is back when it was zone more back when football was more zone oriented. Ryan, I think it was it was pretty easy to go from safety to corner in a lot of ways, mechanically, technically. But right now, in the way the game has gone corner and safety are very different uh, in that regard. And so I think it's easier to go from corner to safety technically than it is to go from safety to corner technically. And just just my two cents on that.
2: All right. Here's an interesting question from uh, Archer Four Five Two. Archer says Saudi Arabia Pro League soccer team Al halal has made a four hundred million dollar euro uh, sorry four hundred million euro a year deal to Lionel Messi. How much money would it take for you to leave a big league and play in Saudi slash China?
1: There isn't enough money. Really? <laughs> There's not enough money. No, I'm not. Le- I'm not going to live in Saudi Arabia or China. I'm. I'm.
2: I'm. I'm. I'm good. I'm good. I, I'm, I'm I might tough it out for a year and just collect a big paycheck and come back. I don't know. I'm good. I'm good.
1: I'm good. Uh, I'll I'll pass on that one. Uh, here here we go. All
2: right, Mark Avalon with a question here, Ryan. Mark's question is: How many of the top 300 ranked recruits play the the camp circuit versus do not? And are just seen as dudes based on game performance. That's a great question mark, and,
1: and I think that's growing more and more and more now as the as the circuits become more integral to the rankings. Because like now you have this obsession with I gotta see a guy in person. Oh, okay. Well, it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you have a camp circuit that you're trying to promote to get people to. I'm sure that you know. It, 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 it just you, you see, why Benjamin Morrison wasn't on the camp circuit, and he's not. I mean anyone that watched that kid's film there's no you could argue okay maybe i don't see top 100 guy i did not i did but i i could see maybe not but how can anyone could not even think he's not even top 300 guy like really like his film alone doesn't show you that but you know it's it's the circuit circuit because there's a there's more agenda. it used to just be ranking services at one job put out the best ranking you can now they've got all-star games that they got to promote and camps that they got to promote. And now on three is coming up with this stupid NIL series thing. So yes, you've got to do something to incentivize kids to go to your events. Well, kids are obsessed with the, the rankings. Are I wish they weren't, but a lot of them are. Well, I got to go play in this to, to uh, get my ranking up. Why, why do you care? You've got offers from everybody in the country. Why do you, care? Benjamin Morrison didn't care. I got offers from Alabama and Notre Dame and LSU and Washington. I don't, you go freaking rivals camp for, you know, but, uh, seven on seven. I don't mind. I, I that's it's come You're competing. I, I, I don't, I don't, and I don't even mind kids going to the camp circuit. I love competitors. I do. I just don't think it has, should have as much, something you do in pads should not have as much of a say on what, as on rankings that they do now. Well, I saw the guy in person. Did you see him get tackled? Did you see him get hit in the face? Did you, did you see him playing an 11-on-11 11 11 in person? Because if you didn't, I don't care that you saw him in some camp. I, I don't. It, receivers, you, Ryan, you see, they look great in like one-on-ones and seven-on-sevens. They know they're not going to get hit. And then put them in the middle of the field when they got to catch a dig route with a, with Kyle Hamilton or Harrison Smith or Sean Taylor's, you know, eh, that guy didn't have as much courage. You know what I mean? So uh, I think there's way – I think, Mark, there's way too much of that going on way too much of that. And that's why a part of the reason I think rankings are getting less and less accurate in my opinion is because there is so much more emphasis on things that aren't about just honest evaluations in my view that that's my two cents, Ryan, you got anything yeah. that you'd like. Well, to add I, I mean,
2: I always think back to the Sam Pendleton story last year, Brian, remember we're like, he didn't have like any ranking for the longest time and no offers because he didn't believe in like the, the camp circuit, right? Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't something that he really subscribed to. So it really is a, it's something that you need at this point, Mark. Like, it's it's a sad state that we're in, man. But, like, so many kids get overlooked if they don't do those camps sometimes, which is just odd. But, yeah, man, I, I just think it's a really sad state. But, I mean, to your point, Brian, you're also talking about, you know, I I think of, like, the, the um, senior bowl every year when these wide receivers who know they're not going to get touched, right, in these one-on-ones, all of a sudden they're big risers like Calvin Austin last year and all these guys. You're just like – that has nothing to do with playing football, right? Like the releases, you're not getting pressed. You're you're getting out in space. Like you're not – it's not translatable. And that's mm-hmm. – and the camp is just a very interesting debate that we could have forever, I think. <laughs> we really could.
1: Yeah, I uh, – I, I think if camps were handled correctly, I love them. I love competition. I love kids getting a chance to meet other kids from around the country in their region. I think there's a lot of value to those things. Yeah. you can be taught certain things and maybe an experience of different things but from a rankings i just want to make sure my issue with camps are more from a rankings standpoint they should not have that much but i think camps just in and of themselves i have no issue with i love a chance for kids to compete love it i i just don't think they should have as, as big of a say on rankings now there are things you can get from them you know this kid's a little bigger than i thought he was this kid's uh, not as big as I thought, Bot, Ryan. Body typing. Know, There's yeah. things like that that I think there's value to those from an evaluation standpoint, but there's way too much. Oh, this guy looked great at camp. Oh, So, have you seen his film? Have you seen what happens every time that kid's about to try to tackle somebody? You know what I mean? Have you seen what happens every time that kid's about to get hit over the middle of the field? Alligator arms, everything. He looks great at camp when he knows he's not going to get hit. You know? So, seven-on-seven uh, seven tournaments will go a whole lot better if you put kids in full pads. Fact fact uh so that's why i just don't put a whole lot into that i just i just really don't uh he, he, here's ryan i want to somewhat address this one i'm not okay. sure how much i want to get into it but but I, we'll we'll give it a shot we'll give it okay. a shot
2: nathan's question is were there any notre dame players leaving for nfl that were okay with due to locker room issues or personality issues
1: I, I will I will say this. I found it fascinating when we were at the pro day how the Notre Dame players interacted with the guys that had been there and the guys and the guy like Brandon Joseph. It's very different. And you could just tell there wasn't that same connection that he had with some of those other guys. And I've heard enough to make me one they say, you know, I think they're going to be okay with him moving on. I think they'll be okay with that from a locker room standpoint. I think some of the veteran defensive linemen knew that they were done after a year and weren't trying to reinvent the wheel. I I just, I, I think not that they're bad kids or necessarily locker room issues or they had personality issues. I just think it was just sort of a, I'm setting my ways and I got one year left and I'm just going to do what I want to do and then just kind of move on. And I think the fact that that's not the case for this year's roster I think it should should be somewhat beneficial for the room as a whole, from a culture standpoint of that room. So sometimes a locker room issue isn't necessarily that somebody has a bad attitude or they're a bad kid or whatever. It's just it's one of the woes when you have a first year coach. I, I've and I and I say this, right from experience. I've I've walked into rooms where and I explained this to Duquesne. The two leading returning pass catchers fought me every step of the way because I was trying to get them to change things because they could do better. They could be better. And it took me a while to finally convince them. Whereas, you know, Michael Warfield, who had like twelve career catches, he listened to everything I taught him because he he knew he needed to get better. He was willing to be coached, and he became our best player. The other guys eventually came around to it and became better players. But even then, like we had a kid, Randy Vlakovic, like I, he just would not listen to me on how to properly run an outcut. So we're playing Robert Morris, and we got a big lead, and he short 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 lengths of an outcut because he just wouldn't listen to me why it was important to push to 10. What happens? The cornerback doesn't get threatened, squats on it, picks it off, runs it back for a touchdown. You got a brand new ball game. Wouldn't listen to me. Michael Warfield would have never made that mistake. And there was nothing I could do to get Randy to listen to me. It just wasn't. wasn't a bad kid. He wasn't. He just, he thought he had all the answers. And veteran players tend to have more of that attitude when they've had success, when a new coach comes in. Once those guys leave, it's a little easier to get what you want done, and it doesn't mean that those kids were bad kids. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I just want to make sure that's clear. I think that's something that could help the defensive line this year. It's not that the guys that left were bad kids or locker room but,
2: problems. It's just you're going to well, get more buy-in when there's unproven players that feel that they have something to learn and something to and, prove. Well, I was going to say that is that I think when we hear locker room problems, it's all like a negative from the – you know, there's an attitude and you're like distant from teammates and stuff, but not buying in is also a locker room issue. It is right. And like that, again, that doesn't make you a bad person or not. It's just, you were set in your ways and you chose not to assimilate to the new culture, the new coaching, like that's kind of the new Mm -hmm. thing. So again, that's nothing negative about the person. It's just, that is an issue though. There's a hundred percent an issue. if If people don't buy into it. I mean, again, that doesn't make a player criminal or a bad kid or anything like that. It's just, there is inconsistencies, though, to how you run a program if people aren't buying in, and that causes problems. Yeah, so I, so I feel like I addressed that correctly, or a way that's yeah. not going to
1: come across the wrong way. I want to be really careful with that, because I don't I don't want to, especially with these kids trying to get drafted, I don't want to make it seem like, oh, they were bad kids and had a lot of problems. I just yeah. I want to make sure I...
2: Uh, uh, because they weren't bad kids. Too.
1: No, like Brandon like, Joseph's not a bad kid. It's just, I don't think yeah. he ever did what he needed to do to kind of, I think he knew he was going to be here a year and never really did things to kind of build the same connection with his teammates the way that, you know, sure. other guys have. Here, here's a here's a perfect one, Ryan. Uh, Rob Didoff says, Brian and Ryan, is it just me or does it seem that Sam Hartman doesn't like to do interviews? I'm fine with it though. It seems like he is on a mission just to get the job done on the field. Like, so you look at Sam Hartman compared to Brandon Joseph. They're both going to be here for one year. But Sam Hartman understands that I've got to be a part of something. It's not just about me. I've got to be a part of something. And I think that's why Sam has really ingratiated himself to his teammates a lot more than Brandon did because he's bought in and because he's not a look-at-me type of quarterback. Brandon wasn't that way either. But Sam Hartman was in there dominating every press conference and all that kind of stuff. Then it might be a little tougher uh, for him to maybe really get in with his teammates. Yep. And, um, you know, I, I think I think this right here by Rob, he doesn't like doing interviews. That's obvious. And I'm OK with that. Right. I, I am. And I think that's something that can can help him with his teammates. He's yep. not looking for the fame. He's not. Hey, look at me. Look at me. NIL. I've got to build up my brand. He's like, dude, I just want to go. Here's how I build up my brand. Throw freaking touchdown passes and win games. Yeah. I love that. And I think that's because
2: he would inc- have, he, he could have chased the NFL dream this year yes. if he wanted to. Or he
1: could have yeah. traced the, chase the NIL schools that are offering that big stuff. And hey, we're going to put you yeah. on the boards. And Sam's like, I want to, I want to go win a championship and, and, and build myself up as a player. And if you want to, if you're all about the show and the pizzazz, Notre Dame is not the place for you as a, as a transfer. And I think that's something that's going to really help Sam get in where he's not going to have that one year concern of it just, there's just no buy-in from him. Doesn't make him a doesn't make Brandon Joseph a bad kid at all. It just means that it just, you're you're not necessarily someone who's going to have a bond that kind of connection with your players. And Sam is getting there. And I think that's, uh, that's an an important thing. So we'll get these last couple questions, Ryan. Uh, I got a couple that I'm going to read for you that I want you to answer before you, and then you can bail. And then I'll Mm -hmm. read the last couple. Okay. Here's one from Ray Holcraft. He says, uh, what ND players a chance of getting drafted in 23? 2020 draft that no one is really talking about. That no
2: one is talking about? Oh, man, that's a tough one. I, I would say we've talked about the running backs. We've talked about offensive tackles. See, Carell, I guess, could be a guy, maybe. The, the, if, the 23 if, draft, meaning the one that's coming Oh, up. this one. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, 2023 draft. Um, I think Jason Amalola, maybe. I, I think that it's... It's like very borderline if he gets drafted or not. I think that he could be a sixth to seventh rounder. I don't think many people talk about him at all in draft circles because the production never really followed what the talent level is, in my opinion. But I would say Jason's one. And then would it shock me if Tariq Bracey's a seventh round pick? Like I wouldn't be shocked about it, right? But I, I, I necessarily wouldn't bet on it either, just with like the you know the durability stuff and all that great conversation, right? But I, I'll say Jason Adam Malola or Tariq Bracey might be a surprise. To Bracey's a good one. I got a surprise one for you, Ryan, okay. and, and it's unlikely, but I could see
1: it. I could see some team late in round seven saying we love Bo Bowers, a special teams guy, but we also know we're not going to sign him if he, if he goes somewhere else, I could see that. I'm not That's betting awesome. on it. I wouldn't put money on it. I'm just saying I've seen it before, yeah. you know, where uh, I'll say this, if Bo would not have tore his ACL, I still say he gets drafted because he'd have run like a, Four, or five, something uh, tested really well, and because seventh rounders are, are special teams guys, yeah. I mean you see it all the time, Ryan. Yeah. And Bo would have been one of the five best special teams players in the draft, in my opinion. Uh, the ACL hurt his ability to showcase his athletic, his vertical, explosive, this stuff. His change of direction hurts him as a linebacker. Doesn't hurt yeah. him as a coverage guy as much. Sure, you know. Um, but I'd still say I could see some team that just. Special teams coordinator pounds on the table. Hey, we've got four seventh round draft picks. Okay. Can we please, can what, can you please get me this kid? I could see that. I'm not betting on it, but I could see that. I could it's, always see that.
3: it's always possible. It's always
1: possible. And then here's, here's one right here, Ryan. Uh, I'm very curious to hear your opinion on this and, and then let you roll after that. Unless you want to stay for the next one about Bone and Ziegler. But we are not Marshall, says Ryan. How does Notre Dame close the gap in recruiting here in Georgia? They hit on O line at tight end. Well, what do they need to do to get the downs as Haynes and Sammy Browns? I think this is a pretty easy answer, but I'm curious to hear what you're
2: saying. Say. Need to win, man. <laughs> win and and things open up. I mean, that's yeah. that's kind of where it is. I mean, look, you're going to get some players from Georgia, but it's about the impact players. You have to give them a reason to leave, right? Like right now, they have a reason to stay, and that is the University of Georgia just won two straight national championships. Notre Dame flips the script there, and it's like, man, you can come up north, you can be different, and we can win national championships. Then that conversation starts to be completely different. It's very easy for right now for those kids to stay in state or go to Alabama. right? Like It's very easy to do that because that is in the vicinity. It's hard for those kids to bet on Notre Dame at times. It becomes easier to bet on Notre Dame if you win and you win national championships. That's it.
1: Or, or start beating some of these teams head to head. I mean, if Notre Dame yeah. goes into to Athens and beats Georgia in 2019, maybe that helps them. You know, it's it's right now, Notre Dame has not proven they can beat the best teams, Ryan. And okay. they have also not proven that they can put guys in the NFL. And if you win, I've said this before, you will get guys overdrafted. You flat out will. If John Fitz, what's it, John, whatever Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick. Yeah. If that kid can get drafted, every single tight end on Notre Dame's roster can get drafted. And, you know, it just that's the reality of it teams that win get overdrafted and so it's winning which then leads to more NFL and you're also if you're winning those big games it's because you have more NFL players on your roster that's it too right Hmm. so start winning more that's how you do it and producing NFL players that's that's why they produce NFL that's why they can do O-line why is the two positions that he mentioned Ryan O-line and tight end happen to be what the two positions Notre Dame has had the most success putting guys in the NFL it's an easy not a coincidence yeah Not a coincidence, so yeah, it's tough to leave Georgia for Indiana, but when you know it's going to mean that I can have a chance to compete for championship, be a high draft pick, and also get a much better degree, that and Marcus Freeman has said this the three things we have to do to compete at that level is we got to show kids that we can win a championship, we got to show kids. That we can get them into the NFL. And then the third one is the academic piece. Well, the academic piece is that's money that works for Notre it's Dame. consistent. Yeah, but right fair. now, you are not touching Georgia and the other two ones. You're not nope. competing for championships and you're not putting guys in the NFL the way that they are. Change that and you change the mantra. That's why Notre Dame could go into Miami and beat and go into Florida and beat Miami for a guy like Derek Brown and guys like that. Because it you you were you could get guys like that. You could prove that you can develop players. That's why. After they won a title in 88, two years later, Notre Dame has one of the greatest recruiting classes they've ever had and getting kids from all over the country because, hey, I can get all three now at Notre Dame. whereas before you couldn't do that. So, Ryan, if you got to take off, you can take off. I'm going to answer these last couple questions here. There are some recruiting questions, but I'll go ahead and knock those out. we got one from Ray Holcraft. Ray says, "Uh, what is the most crucial position of need on both sides of the ball for both the 24 and 25 classes? Right now, Ray, it's a little too early for 25, in my opinion, because you're still in a situation where you don't quite know what the 24 class is going to look like. And a lot of those questions could get answered by what success you have in 2024. And so I'm not ready to give you the answer for 25 yet. the 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 24 one is, it's two parts. I'll, I'll give you one of what they already have and then what they need on offense. On offense, the biggest need was quarterback. You needed to get a big-time quarterback. They've got that one, so box checked. I think the the other one for me is receiver. I'm a big believer that you don't really get to the point where you're truly a national title contending unit until you are starting to string classes together. And, and that's where Notre Dame has not done that yet, and they have to prove they can do that. So does it need to be an elite group? No, but it needs to be a pretty darn good group. Cam Williams is a great place to start, but you've got to add a Jason Robinson. You've got to add a Micah Gilbert. You've got to add you know, guys of that, uh, or even a high-ceiling guy like Isaiah Canyon, who may not be highly ranked right now, but has tons of talent, tons of potential. You've got to get give me guys like that, and then do it again in 25. Before I'm ready to say, hey, you can compete with Ohio State when it comes to wide receiver play. One class isn't doing that. I don't care how good that class is. You got to stack them on top. And so that's where I'm at in, in, in there. Defensively, it's defensive line. I mean, you, you have to, you can afford a down year at linebacker. I'm not, I don't like it. I'm not excusing it. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying I, I, I'm going to give them a pass. I'm just saying you can live with it because of how well you recruited the position the previous two years. D-line, to me, you need to get impact players. You need to get a couple higher floor guys as well. Owen Wafel is a really good place to start. You've got to get Justin Scott. I mean, that to me, and, and I would even argue, if you want to get even more specific, Ray, D-tackle is more even more important than end because I do think there's some really talented young ends. They have to get some interior butt kickers. I think Owen Waifel is, is a much better version of Kurt Heinisch. He is a really good football player. I think he's a top 150 caliber recruit. I didn't love him as a sophomore. It was okay. He was borderline top 250 guy. His game jumped big time as a junior. And I'm really, really glad that he's in the class now. So he's a guy that I would put in there and they got to get Justin Scott. If you give me those two guys, I feel really good about the interior class that they're putting together. Really good about it. And I think that's the biggest position of need from an impact standpoint. But I also think there's sort of a 1B and that's safety because you have to get numbers and talent at safety in 2024. And I think you could actually make a case. And, and I wouldn't because I still believe you win with – you have a better chance of getting a good, solid safety that can help you in the portal than you can get an impact defensive line transfer. I mean, I just think that's the truth. So uh, safety to me is, is two. Two but it's very important. It's still very, very important. And then I'll go to this last question here from Aaron Austin. We're going to wrap up with this one. Aaron asks, who is the better athlete, Drake Bowen or Nolan Ziegler? And then Jalen Snead or Jaden Osbury. Who's the better athlete? I would say I'd pr- I'm going to give the edge in the first group to Nolan Ziegler. I think Nolan is a little bit longer than Drake. He's, I think, faster than Drake and a little bit twitchier. I think Drake is more powerful of an athlete. I think Drake has more short area explosiveness and power. They're both very athletic. I'd give a slight edge to no one Ziegler. Who's the better athlete of the other group? That's an interesting one because I'd probably I'd give the edge to Jalen Snead. I think Jalen's a more explosive athlete. I think he's he's I don't know what his 40 speed is like, but it's pretty good. I've had people that uh, know him well that have said it's it's a low four or five type of speed. I don't know if Jaden is explosive like that. Jaden is just so smooth and athletic and instinctive. I think he's more football athletic than Jalen Snead is right now. I think Jalen would be the better combine guy right now. Nolan or Jaden Osbury is the better football athleticism. If Jalen Snead can ever have the the light click for him from a football standpoint then he he would be really special because he is a super twitchy athlete a really super twitchy athlete he is um he he, he reminds me a lot of N- jeremiah Wusukormo. he may not he may not he's probably a little faster than than jeremiah i don't i don't know if he's quite as laterally explosive as jeremiah is but not many are but he's in the same ballpark and um you know that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at with that. So I, that's who I'd give the edge to, but it's both of them are close. They're just different type of athletes. Uh, Jalen Sneed and Jay, Jay are different type of athletes. Nolan and Drake Bowen are a lot more similar in my opinion uh, for those. So, um, so that's kind of where I'm at with that. So we're going to wrap that up there folks. A lot of good questions today. Really appreciate y'all very much. The first part of the show went a little long, but I thought it was good. I thought it was a really good conversation. We'll be back tomorrow, Wednesday. We're going to have sort of a different – we'll have sort of a quick hitter, a few different topics we'll talk about. Uh, we'll work those in tomorrow as well. And, of course, have another mail back tonight. Have a, obviously, we have a uh, uh, our IB Nation sports talk show will be tonight at 6 o'clock. Tomorrow I will have a show, uh, but honestly, it, it's, it's not going to be as long. Tomorrow is my 15th anniversary, so I'm going to still do a show because my wife has a little bit of work to do, but I'm not going to be around a ton – in the morning or after that. So I, I hope, appreciate your, uh, your understanding of that, but I have, uh, I want to celebrate my anniversary a little bit with my wife tomorrow. So we'll still have a show. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it won't be quite as long, but you all know me once I get to talking, it can go on and on and on, but I'm going to try my best to, to not have a super, super long show tomorrow, uh, so that I can spend some time with, uh, with my wife before we go out to dinner and different things. So I appreciate that very, very much. So, Hit that like button, everybody. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. If you have not done so already, sign up for the message board at boards.hardsbreakdown.com. You do not have to just be a Notre Dame fan in order to be on the message board, as long as you're one to engage respectfully engage with class, I think people would welcome you uh, onto our message board at all. Like, like some of you do in the chat would be a lot of fun. So check that out at boards Sign up for our newsletter. So you can get, you can get uh, every morning or almost every morning, you'll get an email with uh, links to our top stories from the day before. You can also check out buy our merch, right? If you sign up for the message board, you'll also get a discount code for the merch store so if you're interested in getting merch and you're not a member of the site sign up for the site and then get the uh and then buy the merch so you, you'll get a really really nice deal on that one as well so anyway have a great rest of your day everybody have an awesome show and I will see you guys again tomorrow on the Irish breakdown podcast